you're listening to Firm Up, the fermented food podcast, where we get together every week to discuss anything and everything fermented. This is episode 30, and we're your hosts, Brandon and Daniela. Yes, Daniela is back. Hello. Welcome back after a long hiatus. Thanks. What's been going on? Well, I hope, I assume that you've been uh, catching up on all the the previous episodes, so you probably already know what's going on. Not fully. I've listened to every episode, probably half of it. Um, but I um, I can't say I've finished any of them yet, So, but I'm hoping you can just tell me so I don't have to keep listening to them. Wow. Really? Well, this way I could ask more questions as to, you know, well, why did this happen or how, what did you talk about this? Should we, re- we, should we recut those episodes with your questions inserted with new answers? Maybe. That would be fun. Okay. Well, in the meantime, I was thinking that we could talk about today about, um, about flavor. And I like flavor. Yeah, I mean that's really what kind of draws me to fermentation in general and other foods is is the flavor that's What's your involved. favorite flavor? I don't really have a favorite flavor. Really? I like complex flavors, but I also like really simple flavors when they're done elegantly and so well. I mean it's it really just depends on what for what I'm in the mood for, uh what is there like I've a f- experienced before. Is there like a flavor that reminds you of certain like childhood memories, kinda like smell does? Well, yeah, I mean, smell and uh, uh, taste and smell are so intertwined in general, anyway. But yes, taste and taste and smell are both things that do bring up a lot of memories for people. So, do I have anything? Yeah, like Dr. Pepper. Didn't you used to drink Dr. Pepper a lot? No, <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I never drank Dr. Oh. Pepper. I thought you were a soda drinker when you were younger. When I was a teenager, I drank some Mr. Pibb. Oh, Mr. Pip, that's what I'm thinking. Which I, is disgustingly sweet. And, and I mean, I don't even know what it would be like anymore, but I even remember back then it was disgustingly sweet. But you don't have like a flavor that just reminds you of something or that you just really like or... Well, you I know. have all kinds of flavors and scents that remind me of things, but it's kind of one of those things where I don't really remember it until I smell it or taste it. I have this one. Um, it's a childhood um, candy bar from Croatia that even now in Milwaukee at the European store, they, they still sell it. But it's just this like fake flavored banana um kind of like a marshmallow on the inside and it's coated with chocolate on the outside um and anytime i eat it it just brings me back of like being five or six at like in like my home in croatia it's just even to this day even though i know it's full of artificial flavors and coloring i will still get it once in a while just because it brings that memory back of my childhood but then when you're talking about bringing back the memory of your childhood, does it is it just that fake banana or does just eating a banana bring that back? No, not banana. Just that one candy bar specific because they don't sell it here um, in the United States, um, just grocery stores. Maybe that's what it is too. Um, no, it's, it's, that, it's that one specific bar. Kind of like, you know, um, I, I think, I don't know if they have it here, if people would know, but you know, those kinder... How do you say it? Kinder? I, I know how to say it in Croatian. How do you say it in Croatian? That's the only it's way that... Kinder. Um, it's yeah. like those... It's a chocolate egg. And then the inside he has like toys. Okay. And so they still sell them. Occasionally I'll see them at the European store. And I'll still get it now. Even though like the egg is like $4 or $5. And the toys have just gone downhill. But it's... one of, When I was a kid, we used to collect those. And I used to get them from like family members. Every time someone would visit, like my grandma, she'd bring two or three. And like, it was so much fun to open it. And my dad would put together the toy. Um, but that's another one. Like, but that... not it, For that, it doesn't have to be the egg. It could just be that chocolate because it's a brand. So any chocolate I get, I just think of my childhood. Which I know people say smell, I think is the strongest. It's linked to memory. 
I think from what I understand, like it's the, the, it has the most impact on people's memory. Um, but for me, I think flavor does too. I don't know. Yeah. Well, again, because they're so intertwined together and, and, and you, you bring up a topic that could be a whole podcast in its own, not in, on from up, but in elsewhere, you could have a whole discussion about why there is the decline in, uh, the quality of toys in, in, in prizes in, uh, sweet. Why uh, is there? Candies Do you know? or whatnot. No, I'm well, probably just because it's, it's cheaper to not give such a nice toy, but yeah, it's, it's, it is rather disappointing that all of these things that used to have amazing prizes and even some of those things obviously were well before, not amazing, but good prizes were well before even my time. But you know, like, what's I know, that? are they implying that children don't care anymore? They they really just care about the candy. I guess going back to flavor though, it's uh, <laughs> one of those things where, yes, it's, it's very intertwined with memories and everything along those lines. And I was recently watching a uh, a, a YouTube video from the Nordic barista cup, which is all about coffee. It was from 2012, but, uh, it was a lecture or just on a presentation that was not focused on coffee, but focused on flavor. And so it was, it was, it's, it's very kind of pertinent to even to this, this podcast. And, uh, it was Rene Redzepi, which he is the head chef at uh, Noma and is also uh, part of the Nordic Food Lab, in which we've talked about before. And there'll be notes in the in the show notes at firmup.com slash podcast slash thirty, and uh, and I'll add a link to that. The interesting stuff he was talking about flavors, and he was also not only talking about a little bit about coffee, but talking about other kinds of foods in general. Uh, Noma is a restaurant in Copenhagen, uh, I believe. If if anyone has been there, it's supposed to be a great restaurant and I would love to go sometime and really focusing on, on flavor and the, the curiosity of flavor of finding new flavors and, and fermentation. We've talked about this before. Fermentation is a way to, to bring up different, uh, different flavors and things that haven't necessarily been discovered, especially when taking similar techniques with say pistachios and fermenting them like miso and then seeing what's similar to miso, what's different about miso, all those different kinds of things. And what's similar to pistachios. Because I think a lot of fermented foods have a completely different flavor from when they are just raw. Well, exactly. But you can still kind of taste maybe some of that original flavor. Well, yeah. And so how are things not only converting or just uh, – flavor is so complex. And, and, and the way we perceive it can change based on mood, environment, color of a plate, different things. Or, you know, it's uh, – it's a very complicated mess of things. And um, Renee was talking about some of the the fascinating things like uh, fermentation wise, fermenting crickets and, and tasting somewhat like soy sauce and a mix of, other, I forget what else he was saying it, it tasted like, but you know, so fermenting uh, bugs and, and, and discovering these new flavors. And one of the other things he was talking about was this, this big ant that they discovered somewhere in Scandinavia that, I don't know if they discovered the ant or they just discovered the taste of the ant because by tasting the ant, it was a big ant. And he said it tasted just like coffee. I really? mean, so there's all these different kinds like of coffee, like coffee, That's probably weird. because it had some of its natural defense mechanisms of acidity, uh, like the, in it, um, like another ant he was talking about had folic acid in it. And, and so that was where it had a lemongrass taste. He said this one tasted just like, like coffee in a lot of so ways. So did they ferment the ant and just eat it? And it tastes like ones are just, just popping straight in, in the mouth. And, uh, and if, it if tastes you're not of, careful, so they'll bite it, the tongue. So did it taste like, <laughs> that's great. So it tasted like, um, brewed coffee or 
raw coffee, like green coffee, like what did it, I mean, green coffee isn't really, I don't well, know. Well, it wasn't really a whole lot of in-depth, but that's kind of the thing when it kind of any of these kind of descriptors, if anyone's spent any time around someone that, that tastes a lot of, of wines or cups, coffees, or does any kind of quality assurance for anything, talking about what things taste like or remind a person of those, it's not something, well, it's it's a little bit of an art, a little bit of a science. Yes, you can go around and, and, and it's about building a vocabulary of all of these different scents, of all these different flavors. And so when you're saying something smells like or something tastes like lemongrass or tastes like coffee, you know, it's it's the it resembles those things or it remind it more than anything. It probably reminds someone of those things. So the more the experience someone has with tasting or smelling different things, the more of a vocabulary they have to speak with the same as language. I mean, we, the, the more, as we grow up, the more words we accumulate, the easier it is to describe something that is in potentially intangible or physical or otherwise, but we're, we're using these abstract words being abstract abstractions of whatever it is that we're describing. And it's the same way with using our, our memories to describe the flavor of something because we're not describing, Oh, this tastes like chemical number, such and such, you know, it's like we're, we're describing based on our memories. And I am terrible at describing things. I have a very hard time coming up with the right words to describe a flavor or anything. Why is that? What's up with that? Do you think it's being from a different country or, or, but I don't even know if that has anything to do with it. I just sometimes wonder, do, am I, do I not have enough words in my vocabulary to use, to know, to use, to describe something? I'm just so terrible at describing anything well, or even translating. Like I can't even translate. I don't know. I'm like, well, if it's a word and you know, my mom will ask me, what does that mean in English? I'm like, well, it's kind of like this, but like this, I just, and then someone will be like, oh, it's this. I'm like, how, I just can't think of it. So you don't think in, in, in form of descriptors for anything. You're not even talking foods and, and I think tastes? it's just, not that I don't, maybe, I don't know what it is. I just have a very hard time describing something. I'm like, oh, it's just great or it's delicious. But it's like, oh, well, how does it taste? I'm like, um, I don't know. It's, you know, like mild. I mean, I, maybe like, you know, like, so people say, you know, coffee has a lot of flavor and there are a lot of descriptors to use. You know, there's, you know, like, I don't, I can't even think of them. But like, but you know, there's like citrus flavor or sweeter or is, you probably know a lot more. For me, it's like, if I taste a glass of wine or a cup of coffee, I could pinpoint like probably the really obvious things. And I, and if I were to try another flavor or another variety of, uh, you know, like coffee or a different wine, I, I can tell they taste different, but I'm having a hard time saying what the difference is. Sure. And well, and I think that a lot of people, um, it's, it's confidence. It's building the confidence of, um, not only of, of being able to verbally share with other people, what it is that a person's tasting or smelling or otherwise, but it's also having that, that confidence within a person to differentiate. So a, a little, a lot of it is experience. It's the more experience that a person has going back to your word, like translation of words from Croatian to English. Some of that just comes with experience. Some people have thought about or translated more words back and forth thought like between, or just the way that they learned either language they have more connections like that. They like they, they, they link things in different ways. Whereas maybe you, when you learned English, you didn't link them to old words this much as you just learned new ones. And so, but when you go back to food, I don't know, I, I kind of think of it in the sense of when a person is tasting something, there is the one level of experiencing when a person, well, there's the, there's multiple levels of, uh, of experiencing. I say like uh, one of the, the entry levels is just, just eating it, just drinking a, a fermented food. Let's say it's just, just eating some kimchi. And a person can, you know, it, it can be an, a simple on-off, a binary situation of I like it, I don't like it. I feel like I function like that. 
I think you function a little bit differently that because you do you because then once you I think tried, initially I function like that. Once and then if I have more than one kimchi, then you're um, then you're able to say, I like this more than that kimchi, or I like this less than that kimchi. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about just the, the decision factor of like, Oh, I like this or I don't like it. I think initially I'm really like, I'm like, no, that's, that's a terrible coffee or that's just bad. But then if I try it a few more times, I'm like, well, it's not so bad. Maybe I, I don't know why I didn't like it the first time. Or I have a, I have a judgment of like, I initially judge it right away and then I could be wrong. I'm like, oh, that's actually not that bad. And I think that's probably why you con- tried to convince me to eat that one cheese over and over again that I just refused to try because it just smelled like feet and tastes like feet. Not that I know what feet tastes like, but, um, but you know, because for the most part, I think you've seen me just judge something and then I try to get, I'm like, oh, this is actually really good. Um, and so initially, I think my issue is that I judge things too quickly, don't give them a chance. And then if I'm like, oh, well, let me try it again. I'm like, oh, it's actually not that bad. Um, like a like a final judgment as opposed to taking the time to evaluate. Yeah. Like there's something maybe that they just didn't sit well. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Well, I think um, a lot of people don't go to the evaluation side of things. And I like evaluating things and thinking about them and comparing them because then I'm experiencing things on a whole new level. And I think that a person doesn't have to. Um, to do that. But I feel like in order to experience something on a different level, to experience it uh, in a more complex way and appreciate it more. Yeah. Like you're saying, it's, it's something where it's just like education or anything else. The more a person understands about something, the more they can interpret it and, and uh, digest it in their own fashion. And so that's what it is for me with food. I want to evaluate. I want to think about these kind of things. And with some things that are, are, are complex flavors, like, uh, like again, going with some kimchi, some kimchis are very mild and, and mellow and, and those have like their own way of evaluating as opposed to, you know, the red kimchis that are spicy and hot and, um, or, or, or jumping into sauerkrauts or different things like that. You know, we can, we can look at specific parts of that, like the, um, the, the acidity, the tartness, the, the flavor. I mean, did it, are there any defects, like any taints to the flavor? Is it, did this batch of sauerkraut get a little bit moldy or mildewy on top and then did that transfer into the rest of it and to my tasting it did that. for you once for sure <laughs> yes i've had i've definitely I'm like this had is a happen. good sauerkraut but mm, there's slightly a mold taste to it what's up with that <laughs> yeah and then those are ones that definitely have some defects to the to the way that i've i've prepared it or something along the lines i and and i think that a person can for me it's more about the exploration as opposed to perfection i mean i'm always striving for looking for a perfect sauerkraut or a perfect kimchi or a perfect uh, yogurt in so many ways. But much of the time, it's more like a lot of the evaluation is just figuring out, did this turn out the way that I wanted it? Or did this turn out in the direction of where I think I would like it as in a way to troubleshoot? So flavor as a way of troubleshooting is an evaluation as a way of troubleshooting is, is like, oh, there's a mold taste in this. I did something wrong. What did I do? And can I do it differently next but time? Wouldn't you say flavor is really also um, affected by comparison? You know, haven't you ever had something that you thought was good, but then you tried something even better at the same time? And then the one that you thought was good, you're like, oh, that's actually not good at all. Well, I think that goes back to vocabulary and education and awareness. I mean, yeah, the more that because, because people eat really crappy food because they they don't have any comparison to something better. I would argue that to a certain extent, 
and then that's complicated by memories and and uh and everything else that associates with it if some people eat some crappy food because it reminds them of their childhood when their mother was so loving and caring to them i mean that their that that crappy food will always have a place in their heart even if they do educate their palate and learn all kinds of different things about foods and flavors and and smells and aromas and and so it's really a complicated subject but i say in general the more someone experiences I would argue higher quality or at least focused on flavor foods and beverages, the more someone's going to develop experience, develop vocabulary and be able to taste and pinpoint things and evaluate them beyond completely focusing on just the memories of, of things past. Or just survival, you know, nutrition or, well, you know, when you're hungry, you'll eat whatever. That's what Um, really got me thinking about this, uh, uh, what Rene was talking about in this this uh, presentation he was giving, and it's uh, he was talking about Scandinavian culture being a, a, a strong Protestant culture, um, proud Protestants, as he was saying. And uh, this was about fifteen minutes into the to the lecture, and um, I'll have that in the show notes again. But talking about how um, flavor is something that people have uh, an issue with, um, uh, like a, a deep seated issue culturally with flavor because um, eating was about survival for a long period of time. Eating uh, makes sense. People were not idolizing flavor and deliciousness. Well, people didn't have time. I would think. Well, I mean, but at the same, well, Protestant aspects of things would also not, I think want to be idolizing the foods in the same way either. I mean, um, but, but but the thing is, is that now we're at a point culturally and awareness wise where, yes, idolizing flavors, experiencing foods in different ways is exciting. It's amazing. And there is some science. I mean, I haven't looked into it much or, or but, you know, like there, there's there's some studies that that lean towards eating more flavorful and delicious foods. People actually eat less. Really? And we're talking but isn't real. That, but would you say that that's more so people just being more aware of what they're eating, uh, enjoying the food, so they're eating slower than, you know, that whole theory. If you eat l- slower, you potentially eat less. Don't you think all of that plays into it, not I'm, just I'm good assuming, food? Yes. I'm assuming that all of those kind of things play because, into it. And, and because like major uh, food manufacturers, they're trying to get people to eat more. So they're they're tweaking flavor. They're tweaking everything like that to make it so that people think less about the food that they're eating and just consume more. Which makes sense, which is ridiculous, but yes, makes sense. Um, it makes sense on a profit margin wise. And then there's the other side of things where that's just consumption. Whereas if it's about enjoyment and experience, some of these things also are good for profit for restaurants and, and uh, food producers. Because they could charge but more it's, it's and people quality. would be eating less. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and... and and it's in those senses where it's like those are the kind of restaurants and cafes and and uh, uh, fermenter uh, production uh, producers that I really enjoy because there is a lot more focus put on the flavor. And one of the other things that Renee was 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 speaking of, I kind of like like this, and it's the best of flavors are the best of ecologies. And he says time and time again, he just finds that the best flavors are the best ecologies. And kind of how I take that is the ecologies being that that interaction 
between us and the plants and the environment and everything like that. But really the focus on, on quality, on flavor. It, I mean, you look at it, you know, you have um, the highest qualities of flavors, you know, arguably a lot of times are coming from local foods, not because non-local foods are, are um, inherently worse or even taking out the aspect of transportation or otherwise. It's just the, the essence of it being grown and not needing to be transported as opposed to most foods are transported long distances. So it's not flavor. Isn't the first component when trying to go for quality quality is long lasting and can survive transport. So we lose so many of the flavors. Tomatoes are a good example of different things like that. So when it's kind of an interesting way to, to look at it, the higher quality, the more focused that people are on flavor in the production of foods in the, the making of foods and, and the, the better it is for, everything involved. So do you think eventually people that aren't focusing on flavor so much, even now that they're just mainly consumption, I mean, I would assume they're going to eventually start appreciating flavor and good food more so than currently that they're just kind of stuck to the traditional, you know, survival methods of some sort still. I mean, I think in Croatia, that's still very common too, especially where I come from. It's they're small towns. So, you know, they have the traditional bread, you know, traditional, you know, meat is very important in the culture. And it's like, they don't really ever think about, well, let me steam some of these vegetables versus just cook them all the way because that's how I've been raised to do it. And that's what I know. And that's what I like. Um, I mean, I see that even with my own family now um, that, you know, they live here in the United States and I'm slowly sharing things with my mom. It's like, well, you don't have to steam the broccoli so it's brown. If you steam it for a very short time, it's still really good. And she would have never thought of that. But when she tries it, she likes it. It's just she doesn't know. Well, it goes back to awareness. And well, I mean, they- so, you, I mean, I'm guessing even these places that aren't aware or appreciate good quality food i I see something that's going to change slowly it just takes time well it's just like things have changed um in a different direction like say your uh so-called traditional breads in croatia um yeah they're traditional in this uh, in the sense of that people are making them at home uh they're making them in similar ways to how they've been made before but they're using industrial yeast which is not traditional beyond what 100 plus years previous to that i mean i don't know when it came to croatia but yeah but you're talking about traditional. Everyone is traditionally making it with these commercial yeasts now, whereas before that they were making sourdoughs. And so things change culturally, sometimes by ease of access or um, the the idea that something is is an improvement. But that's still knowledge and education. I think now that people are becoming more aware of, well, some of these things are not good for us. They're I I foresee them going back. Well, I don't even think it's about some being form good for or us or not good for us. It's just about un, uh, people appreciating. Exactly. Because that's the thing. Making a sourdough bread is much more difficult than making a commercial yeast bread. Or it takes uh, not much more difficult. It just takes a little bit more time, takes it a little bit different considerations. Um, not as simple, I guess. But once a person understands it, I mean, you've been doing experimenting a lot with sourdough breads. Your breads are turning out great. Yes, they are. They're very good. And um, even my mom, who makes her bread a certain way, really likes my bread. It's funny, though, because my brother, um, who is used to eating the soft crust that my mom makes because of the how she bakes her bread, 
he commented he doesn't like the crispy crust. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? I think he burnt the crust that he, he ate too, It wasn't you? burnt. Um, it was just slightly darker, but it, it was not burnt by any means. It's just you could kind of choose how dark you want the crust to be. And so sometimes it could be darker. Sometimes it could, you could, you know, not go as long. But I like that kind of crust. And, and he just said, I think for him, he's just so used to the soft crust, not the crispy crust. And so he's like, well, I like the middle part, but I just don't like your crust. I'm like, Really? Come on. Well, either way, you're still getting him slowly converted. It's a, it's like a, it's a gateway in eating the, the middle part because it is still much more flavorful than a, a simple white bread. It's interesting how it is a lot and not a lot of work, but it really it takes time and patience to slowly show someone something other than what they're used to. Um, Especially and, when someone's not looking for change. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's so true. And because it's. It's just like, like you said, it's just like slowly bringing it up, introducing them to certain things. And they're kind of like, oh, this is really good. I like it, but not enough that I'm going to go make it myself. But I'll, I'll definitely have some, you know, if you have some, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, I guess what I've learned a lot is just how much time it takes. And I mean, I guess I should know this for people to accept or be open to something it's it's a very depending on the person obviously but it's just a very slow process like people still like their old ways yes people get in their comfort zones and so flavor is definitely a part of comfort and 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 so even if someone is eating a food that is arguably inferior to many other kinds of foods out there and that is subjective to a certain extent but if you're going to look at high quality produced items versus uh, quick manufacturing of, of products as a differentiator, the lowest common denominator versus the, you know, pursuing the best of the best. If you look at it as that, as the, as the dividing line, I mean, you have people on, on both sides and, and yes, people enjoy what they enjoy because they're actually enjoying it on some level, whether it's a very conscious level or kind of just a zoned out, like I'm stuffing potato chips into my mouth kind of enjoyment. But people are still getting something from that. You think there's enjoyment in that? Well, I don't think people would do it if there was no like, uh, um, no positive response somewhere in the body or somewhere in the mind. I don't know. I'm not sure if I fully agree with that, but I don't don't have an explanation as to why. I don't think someone is really enjoying. Well, just I guess stuffing. it depends on how you want to define enjoyment. Because there's always that, like you know, is there enjoyment in consumption? Yes, there is. Well, I mean, in consumption, in the in the sense of, um, you know, like the the word that that I generally just don't really like too much, consumer, like people consuming, be it buying food. Uh, you can't food compare or, consumption as in eating food versus consumer as in consumption of just buying things. But consumption of. Um, I think, yes, people, I even think people think there is joy in consumption of buying, um, you know, technology parts like games or even clothes or like people think that's grat. It is. And I think they, that's true. People are happy for a short while. I don't think it's a long-term solution, but I think. Well, and I think the same thing with stuffing potato chips in, in my mouth, yeah. it's enjoyable for a, a short while, but then afterwards I don't feel very good or, or, or otherwise. You know, whereas but I, I think for you it's different because you're still aware of what you're stuffing in your face, in your mm, mouth. Depend. Yeah, I mean, because you you still realize. I think there are so many people that don't even think about it. It's, it's kind of like going to the bathroom. They just don't think. It's you know exactly, and that's that's where awareness comes in. And so, where is this awareness of that there are different flavors out there? Not only awareness of, 
but excitement about and curiosity for. I mean, I don't think that there's there's so many aspects of at least society in the United States that aren't about curiosity and flavor is about curiosity. I mean, the more curious a person is about flavor, the more they're going to explore things, the more they're potentially going to spend on things. So there is maybe an economic divide here. Maybe if a person doesn't have money, they, they don't feel like they can explore flavor in the same sense with fermentation. I feel that that is totally possible. Even using low uh, quality vegetables or whatnot, uh, pesticide filled things. I mean, arguably those are going to change a little bit uh, fermentation Maybe, maybe not. But either way, a person can make something of higher quality, that value-added product, if it was being sold. They can you take cabbage, even a low-quality cabbage, even a starting-to-go kind of off cabbage or like almost ready-to-be-tossed-out cabbage, can still generally be fermented. And so it doesn't even have to be an economic divide on being able to explore flavors, but it does take work. There is more work involved in exploration. I mean, like, yes, we can do a lot of exploration on the internet or on computers and different stuff just sitting behind, but it still takes some brain activity. I mean, it's it's like exploration throughout history. It takes effort. So I, is that the difference? People just aren't worth willing to put in the effort to learn, to be curious? Have they lost their curiosity and flavor is just one thing? Or are they just curious well, about think, other things? I don't think they've ever had the curiosity for flavor. Like we said, I think it's always been survival. And now I think we're at a point where we can't, slow down and take time to really think about what we eat, how we want to eat it, what we like, what we don't like. For so long, it's just been for fuel purposes because we've had to work more. humans have always had enjoyment. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a part of, or enjoyment or reward or different things like that. And there have definitely been throughout history, plenty of people that have focused on flavor. I mean, look at the history of cheese and wine and other aspects of things. People have enjoyed things for different reasons. And so there is still enjoyment. Uh, and I almost, I almost wonder how realistic it is throughout history. Like, uh, it seems like flavors have become less complex, simpler, more basic through major production. And so, in that sense, maybe it's, maybe it isn't really the truth that throughout history people have been focused on survival only. I mean, I think people have. I mean, why cook f- foods and 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 create all these different flavors through Maillard reaction and otherwise? it tastes good. It, it opens up flavor in different ways. And yes, the, the first humans that started cooking were experiencing new flavors. And some would start thinking now that there's just not a whole lot of different flavor combinations or otherwise to explore. Whereas people like the Nordic Food Lab, um, they are, are exploring different things through fermentation, through insects, through otherwise. There, there, there are other flavors out there that most people have never tried or that they would not consider to be a flavor in uh, from where that flavor comes from like lemongrass ants in copenhagen uh whereas lemongrass is more of a tropical flavor in general but where is the differentiation between curiosity and, and snobbery i mean I, because because snobbery i like that term <laughs> well i mean what what is the difference because sometimes it's that it's it's assumed that or or categorized as someone that is you know, they're a wine snob. They're are there fermentation snobs? Maybe I think of more fermentation geeks. So where mm. where is that divide? There's there's people that are really curious about things. I think a lot of people that eat and uh, and make their own fermented foods are very curious about the flavors or excited about the flavors. And that's not snobbery. When does it when does it shift over to snobbery? I think that term is just heavily used, but I don't think a lot of people 
are snobs. I don't even know where that came from. I think it's probably that perception of, you know, like a coffee. Is, is there a snob? Yeah, I think there is like coffees. Well, geeks, I, I think of them. But, you know, like people that kind of just do something because it's cool to do versus they actually care about it. Um, so maybe someone who so, so the, pretends like... So the hipsters like, of fermentation are... Maybe, yeah. Are I, I, like that's that's kind of how I always think of it. Although I, I don't think there are... I would argue there aren't many people that are snobs. People that like food really enjoy it. And I don't think anyone is kind of like, well, I don't... I know what... I don't know. I, well, I think a, that's over... I think that's just a heavily used term that isn't really accurate or is well, it really I would say that maybe it is because in that, the sense of it's an inclusion or exclusion it depends on how a person is if a person is excited about something and is uh, wants to include other people then i would say that's not snobbery if someone's excluding other people is is learning something so that they can be better or different than other people and and um identify self-identify with something uh, and it, it's not about the curiosity it's just about the i want to know more than those people. Kind but of how thing. many people do you think are like that? That's what I'm trying to well, say. Well, I, like, I don't know. I mean, I think throughout history, I think that's been more of a, a of thing, course. an aristocratic um, uh, goal of of separating economic classes from each other is that the the wealthy classes are doing certain things and more expensive foods, higher quality foods, more flavorful foods throughout uh, more recent history probably were more for um, some of the wealthy. But then, of course, you have... Uh, some like uh, uh, food and uh, some amazing flavors and foods in the the South that have disappeared as well. That come more from uh, from slaver uh, slaves coming over to the United States and different things. There's there's such ex- exotic different flavors. So it's not that it's really about an economic divide, as only the wealthy can experience great flavor. But it does seem that the snobbery comes from more of a exclusivity based on wealth wealth or yeah i mean our wealth of of not like the more that i I guess it it really just depends on where a person's coming from but flavor for me is about curiosity and flavor for me is is whereas i think i I really i really thought it was the snobbery i well i think snobbery can come in for someone even if they're curious is if they don't have the vocabulary to still to, to still share with people that know less Wait, that that's snobbery. No, I wouldn't say it's snobbery. I'm because saying it that, could come that would put me way. in that category, and I no, don't I think. Don't, I, I think that it could be. Uh, it's it's easily mistook when someone's really excited or passionate about something, um, and if they're not good at conveying that to others in a way that makes any sense or doesn't come off as judgmental, even if a person's not trying to be that way, it's hard. Sometimes with flavor, it's 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 hard, you know, not to uh, pass judgment on. Um, you know, a, uh, a canned pickle versus a fermented pickle, you know, well, it, I mean, I judge. Yes. It's, it's hard not to pass judgment on that. It's not that they both can't taste good. It's just my flavor preference is towards the naturally fermented pickles. I guess. And, and if I don't convey that in that kind of a description of it, then yes, I can kind of start to come off as a snob. I can kind of start to come off as someone who is is like, oh, I don't do canned pickles because that would be uh, totally against my fermentation beliefs. beliefs. I don't do canned pickles, but only because once I had fermented once, I really like those more. And it's not because they're not fermented i just to me the texture of fermented pickle is so much better and more enjoyable than the 
See, and there you just brought up something else. It's not only the flavor. It's not only the aroma. It's the texture as well. And all those things are so complicatedly combined. So what are we getting at? Flavor is what? <laughs> flavor is something worth celebrating. Okay, good point. I mean, and that's, that's, that's what this really comes down to. And that's what this whole podcast is about. It's about celebrating flavor. And just so happens to be, there are many, many different flavors in fermented foods. And fermented foods have many flavors that haven't been explored because there's, we, we're, we're, generally there's only a certain amount of fermented foods and things that people think of pickles, sauerkraut, kimchi, yogurts, kombuchas, you know, I mean, you have the fermented dairy, you have the fermented grains, you have the fermented meats. Pretty and much you can ferment anything. Anything can be fermented. Will it taste good? I guess it just depends. And and can cross these cross fermentations create something exciting? Kind of like uh Ben was talking about in the uh, the cheese rind episode about combining these different flavors. Or I'm sorry, these different bacteria, native bacteria versus imported bacteria and how that influences the taste, the flavor, and different things like that. I mean, there's so many things that have been done certain ways without a whole lot of questioning because they work. But now that there's so many more, I guess, hobbyists or specialists that are in some aspect of the food industry that are are intrigued with trying things differently because it's about the exploration. It's it's there's there's uncharted waters. Sure, maybe these things have been discovered before, but that's like exploration throughout history anyway. I mean, sometimes think you're a discoverer of something and it's been around, but maybe it's disappeared. And so whether we're exploring flavors that have disappeared that some human somewhere knew, or we're finding absolutely novel tastes, I think that it's worth celebrating the the journey. Because some things maybe aren't going to taste so good. Some of the sauerkraut, like you said, that I've made has turned out a little moldy, but I've learned something in the process. And so for me, flavor is more about the entire journey. It's not, it's not about one thing. It's not about finding a perfect flavor or even a new flavor necessarily. It's about finding and celebrating the journey of flavor exploration. No, that's not it for you. No, I just you, you just were very poetic about your poetic about your answer. No, I mean I don't know. I think flavor for me is a lot of things. Um I enjoyment probably number 1 um because different flavors bring me different kinds of joy. But all I think if I since I'm eating for the most part good food, they all bring me some type of joy. Um depending what kind it is. Sometimes it's comfort, sometimes it's just you know hitting like if I'm really hungry and I'm eating something so that's just hitting the spot. It's just like so good. It just feels so great. And my body loves it. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think it's just enjoyment and then everything else comes along with it, but that's kind of what triggers the, the journey to search for different flavors or explore different foods or try them or make them. Well then I guess let's turn it over to you, the listener. Yes, no, not trying to be cheesy or anything, but like in you are, to, you're always cheesy. What, why do you celebrate flavor and specifically in fermented foods? And you can, or why don't you celebrate flavors or why, yeah, why, why, maybe why don't you care? Maybe you're just into fermented foods for the preservation or the health aspects, but were those aspects gateways into flavor or is flavor still something that's not of, of much concern? And it's all these other aspects, or maybe you don't even like fermented foods, but you're forcing yourself to eat it for other reasons. But 
whatever it is, share those in the show notes if you're interested. Email Brandon too. He loves emails. Well, you can email, but let's let's get this a little bit. I've been kind of lax on the, the group interaction kind of thing. And so getting some people in the show notes. And again, that's at firmup.com slash podcast slash 30. And the big three. Oh, yes. isn't that coming up, Brandon? Yes, it's episode 30. And yes, my 30th is birthdays coming up soon, too. But I don't know what kind of maybe the sauerkraut birthday cake sauerkraut beet kvass chocolate cake that Sa- sounds like a good combination because i've had sauerkraut cake i've had beet cake you had sauerkraut cake no maybe i've just dreamed about it but i have beet cake and stra- you had beet cake yes yes i've had beet cake but not beet kvass cake so make the beet kvass and then use those beets in it and if uh that 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 that's um maybe what i'll convince someone to make me for my birthday because i can't make it myself well i guess i could but anyway let us know why you celebrate or do not celebrate flavor. You can just leave them in the show notes. Uh, in the uh, show notes, there's the comments at the bottom of that or on the Facebook comments or anywhere else that you'd like. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash firmup, on Twitter at firmup, Pinterest at firmup, and Google Plus, you can search for us as firmup. And until next time, flavor it up. Firm up. <laughs>